Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for the East. Another corporate figure has been targeted by the eco-activist group The East. We need someone to get inside The East. Who would you choose? Me. I'm unexpected. Being unexpected is the only advantage that matters. Robert McCabe called me himself. In one month's time, I want to know the identities of every person who poisoned his company. I'm looking for the East tag. I heard the East doesn't exist. Who is she? Who is she? Welcome to the East, Sarah. I have something planned for us. When it comes to breaking the law, most people can't handle it. I can do it. Let's go. Let's go. Never fall away. This group's committed, and they're ahead of us. An eye for an eye. Can't be more. You can't be less. There are consequences. Getting attached to them is all right, but do not get soft. If they find out who you really are, they will give a second thought to your destruction. I can't keep going like this. It would be easier if we didn't feel the need to fight. If we just let go. What's the potential damage? Severe. What did you expect? That it was going to be painless? You're going to stay calm. You're going to hold your cover. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, David Fear from Time Out New York, and tonight's guests, Alexander Skarsgård, Britt Marling, and Zal Batmanglich. Hello. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, guys. Uh, stop me if I've got the chronology of this mixed up at all. Uh, but you, Britt, you and Zal were working on a thriller, or the idea of potentially doing something that was going to be a thriller prior to Sound of My Voice, which was the first film that you guys did together, right? And then, as you guys were working on this, you stayed with an anarchist collective for a month? Go ahead and talk about that for a second. Well, yeah, I mean, we had spent a summer living with different direct action groups, anarchists, farmers, uh, different people who were squatting in collectives. And when we came back, something inside us had been unmoored, and we couldn't shake it. And so we also had long wanted to make a thriller, and so we just decided to fuse these vines together. We didn't go into that summer trying to do research for a movie. We went into that summer to just live our lives in a different way. We were fascinated to find out how other young people were constructing a meaningful life for themselves. And then, you know, it just naturally fused together. Why not set a thriller in that world? Huh. Well, what exactly became Unmoored? A lot of things. <laughs> um, I, think, uh, I think part of it was, was just, it was such a different life. I mean, learning to train hop and living in squats and not showering for a long time and learning to dumpster dive and how much of our culture's waste is actually abundance. You know, these, you spend a long, long enough time living that way and it sort of changes your perspective on things. It's hard to go back to the way you saw things before. Right, no, you live like a, you live like a journalist. Basically. Uh, talk a little bit more about the research that all three of you did. 
Um, not, just not besides living with the collective, obviously, but I imagine you guys were probably reading a lot of books, delving a lot of it. Alexander, I imagine you were talking to people to try and get a handle on you know, how you were going to play this role. Um, yeah, when I, um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't have that much time to prepare for it. Or I did, but I was wrapping up a t uh, this television show, True Blood, that I shoot in Los Angeles. And thank you. Yeah. You guys have heard of it. And I, we were like, um, I was going to go to New York right after that to shoot um, a Disconnect that I was here with a couple of weeks ago in another movie called What Maisie Knew. Um, so my, my preparation was basically either from my trailer on set or my hotel room here in New York while shooting Disconnect and What Maisie Knew. Um, just reading books, uh, going online, uh, watching documentaries about other collectives and... Uh, and obviously talking to Zal and Brad about their experience of, of, uh, from that summer. Um, and then those images, the Mike Brody, st Brody stuff was amazing. There's this photographer who was, he went on the road, he went train hopping, not on the road, on the tracks, I guess, but he was train hopping for like eight years or something, took pictures of his friends, um, and they're just absolutely amazing. There was something about those images that felt like Benji and the East. And um, in a way, by just looking at those, that's kind of how I started to, that became like the seed and, and, and um, the embryo of, of who Benji was, I guess. We're gonna show you a really quick clip right now. And I believe this quick is called Going Undercover, correct? All right, let's roll it. intelligence firm in the world. Anti-corporate terrorism is all about risk, and our job is to assess that risk for you. Are you dealing with a fly? It's harmless, easily swatted. Or is it a mosquito? Can it draw blood? Or is the threat the Black Widow? Sending you to the hospital, crashing your stock. Let's say it's a fly. You deal with it internally. Mosquito, our operative handles it, neutralizing the threat. Now, if it's the Black Widow, we'll have to see. We can extract our operative, liaise with the FBI, and leave no trace. Gentlemen, we are in 32 countries protecting your good names which is why it is essential very few have ever heard of ours. So as you can tell from this clip, this movie is a thriller, uh, very clearly a thriller. One of the things I really like about it is that it's a thriller with a lot of ideas. Now, clearly going into this, you can tell that the people who are making this movie have a lot on their minds. There's a lot of stuff they want to talk about that's you know, going on in the world today. It's also very clear that you're making a piece of entertainment. Like, this is a thriller, and the idea is to get people to go see this and think about things and lose themselves for a couple of hours. So, can you guys talk a little bit about the balance of striking that? Where you're not just giving somebody a piece of escapism entertainment, but you're also not giving somebody some sort of, you know, polemic collegiate lecture. Well, I'm sure a lot of you guys in the audience here, um, and I'm sure you 
feel very frustrated as we did about the current state of the world. Whether you're on the right or the left or anywhere in between, we live in a very strange time. I don't think that's debatable. And so Britt and I would read a lot of these news stories that would sort of break our hearts, right? Like about kids who were dying of arsenic poisoning from cancer uh, in their uh, sort of bath water. Or we'd read about a drug a pharmaceutical, an antibiotic that a woman took. She took five pills and she ended up in a wheelchair. And the question is just who's accountable for that kind of devastation? And so we wanted to uh, explore that by making a film that held people accountable for that kind of stuff. But it also, for me, as a reader, when I first got the script, I didn't know Zoll and Britt. Uh, I'd, uh, I was a fan. I'd seen Sound of My Voice and thought it was brilliant. And... Uh, Another Earth that 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 Brit did with Mike, uh, also a great great film. Um, but it was something about the script because I think it could have easily been a movie about a woman who works for the big bad, big, big bad corporation and then infiltrates this group of weird smelly anarchists with you know that doesn't you know he doesn't shave and they like it's all weird. But then she realizes oh they're actually the good guys, and then she like joins forces with them and fights the big bad corporations. Um, what I loved about the script and what made it so intelligent to me and interesting to me was that it was much more, had much more depth than that. Um, even when she joined the group, it's not a homogenized group. They're all, even within the group, they don't agree, which I think is real. And what happened to a lot of, like the, the Weather Underground, for example, imploded because some were willing to take it really far. Some were willing to hurt other people. Some were willing to kill other people, and some weren't. And that created a lot of tension. And I think that was really interesting in the script, that it, we didn't agree within the group. And Sarah joins the group, and she's not, they don't agree. Not even at the end of the movie do they all agree. And I, it, it, even if I agree with, I, you know, absolutely, we're, it's, there's a lot to be upset about in, in our society today, but I always hate when you watch a movie or read a book or, 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 or watch a play, um, when it feels like you're being shoved and the, the, the opinion of the author or the filmmaker down your throat. Like, even if I agree with it, I'm like, oh, please, I want to take a shower now, you know? <laughs> uh, and what was so good about this is just like I put down the script and I it made me think about these very interesting questions about morality. How far is it okay to go? Like Benji's character who, who subscribes to the, the idea of an eye for an eye. Um, okay, well, is it okay to, to commit a crime? Is it okay to hurt someone? Is it okay to kill someone? Um, and, and, and I didn't feel that Zoll and, and, and Britt said, and here's the answer on page 105, you know? Right. It, it, it made it much more real. Well, we didn't have any answers because we just haven't lived life long enough. So all we had was questions and frustrations, which sort of manifest themselves in the form of paranoia, which is really thrilling. And on set, we were very serious because we had very little time and money to make this movie, so we were working very hard. But we also knew that we were making a thriller and things were fun. Like, for example, it, some scenes would get so exciting and we'd shoot them so fast that we started uh, joking that the film was a telenovela. And so <laughs> Alexander would do that for us all the time while we were sitting around waiting for the lighting setups or something. Alexander, will you do it? Guys, will you ask him to do his oh. telenovela? Come on, ask him. <laughs> ask him. You Next week on the East. <laughs> 
He would do this during the middle of the most like really serious scenes, and he would start narrating it, and we would all die of laughter, and it, it kept us going long. Well, that's when it, that's when it, it really works when it's super intense when someone you know turns around and it's like very dramatic. <laughs> it just it, it was very much yeah. But w- one of the interesting things, I mean, you talked about um, not having the answers. Uh, besides not saying like we have all the answers, here it is. There's not a really a clear-cut hero or villain in here either. The person you think is supposed to be your protagonist could very well be your antagonist. The person who's supposed to be the villain, you know, ostensibly, turns out to be very righteous and have an incredibly, like, a sense of ethics and moral. I mean, all that stuff gets blurred. It just makes things so much more interesting than, like, she goes deep undercover and, you know, sh- will she ever come up, that kind of thing. But I think it's as a... When I, when I watch movies or, you know, uh, plays, or I, it's always more interesting when that struggle, like you said, is internal. Because I think we have it all, you know, we're capable of both. We have, there's a light and a darkness within us. And I think it's always more interesting when you um, can see that in the eyes of the, the actor rather than, like, hero, bad guy. Uh, and, and it's even more fun when you, uh, when you, when you watch something and you're kind of lazy when you watch stuff. So you go like, oh, you want, you, 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 you're kind of taught to label characters. So it's always more interesting when you, first you sit back and go like, okay, so here's the bad guy. And then you got to revisit that. And you go like, wait a minute, now things are changing. And I kind of agree with him. And the, the guy that I thought was the good guy is doing this w- weird stuff that I don't really feel comfortable with now. And it just makes it more interesting to me. Next time on the East. <laughs> You guys were uh, three weeks into pre-production when uh, the Occupy movement kind of had its moment in the spotlight. Uh, obviously, you guys already had a script, and you were—you know—the train was already moving, so to speak. But how did that affect your mindset going into production as this thing was sort of blowing up all around the world? I mean, I think that we felt, even as we were writing, I mean, one of the first things that we came up with when we were writing the film was the oil spill jam. And we wrote that jam out, and we were so excited because we were trying to search for things that were visual and impacting. And the idea of, like, you know, going breaking into the Summer Hamptons estate of the CEO of an oil company, and there's oil coming up from the drain in his pool, and it's dripping out of the vent. And we love that imagery. And then a week later, the BP oil spill happened. And we were like, oh, we're really on to something. <laughs> We've got to finish this script. This um, is horrible. We're so prescient. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and then WikiLeaks happened, and then things just kept making the story more and more prescient. And then, as you said, like right before, two weeks before we started shooting, Occupy happened. And that was a major moment because suddenly, you know, all these ideas and groups that had been pretty far away from the mainstream media coverage were suddenly in the in the spotlight front and center front and center and um and so it, it made us really excited to make the film and make it quickly and have it enter the world and i think all the ideas that these that the, these groups bring into the spotlight are only becoming more and more important so no you guys were clearly reading the slogan writing on the wall i mean it seems like you were tapping into there's something that this movie taps into that just seemed to be kind of floating around in the air and then that's when the occupy movement comes it feels like a lot of that stuff just comes together. Uh, we've got another clip for you guys. So check this out. Go ahead and roll the clip. Who would you choose? Me. I'm unexpected. Being unexpected is the only advantage that matters. But you chose Tom. Why do you say that? He's your last interview. 
You remind me of myself at your age. Smart enough for it to be a disadvantage. You haven't failed at anything yet. Not really. That, that kind of arrogance is dangerous. They'd smell it on you. You know, I've been researching this field exclusively for nine months. You had a, a goldfish as a kid? <laughs> hmm? Sure. Hmm. So you remember taking it home? You had to float the bag in the aquarium, gradually letting the water in little by little, so the, the fish can adjust. Okay. Don't follow your ego out of the bag early. That's how you end up dead. You put your first choice in the middle, because to put it last is expected. You know, I was sort of hoping that you guys were gonna be able to show the soup clip. Um, I don't wanna give away everything in the film, but there's this amazing sequence that involves um, the collective eating soup. Can you guys talk about that scene for a second? Because it's a really pivotal moment in the movie. Yeah, it's hard for us to show you guys clips of this movie because there's so many twists and turns, especially with Alex's character. We really wanted to show you guys an Alex clip, but everything keeps turning, and I want to save those surprises for when you guys are in the theater. But um, we'll talk about the soup scene. Uh, it was a very intricate scene that involves the characters uh, drinking soup in, a, in an original way. <laughs> and if you've seen our first film, Sound of My Voice, it's a little bit like the other collective scenes in that movie. Very cultish, yeah. Yeah, very cultish. And, um, and uh, on the f we shot that the first Friday of shooting. So on the fifth day of shooting. And um, afterwards, the crew lined up and they came to shake my hand. And these are older, older guys. And, um, and they said, you know, Zal, some of them said to me, you know, Zal, we thought that this script was kind of weird and out there, but uh, especially this scene, but now that we just saw it, the way that Alexander led these guys in doing this thing, man, we're so down with this movie. That was so beautiful <laughs> and so awesome. We did not expect that. And so it was a nice moment. We had the crew after that, and we were all very tight making this movie. Without giving away too much, you, it's this build up and build up and build up, and you get the sense that your character, who's infiltrating, I, I guess you would call them, some people would call them pro-activists, other would call them eco-terrorists, uh, you're basically infiltrating this group and you have the sense that these guys are horrible. They're really ominous and they're bad. And then the minute you see the sequence, you understand how their mentality works. There's a collective mentality that works with, I you know, argue your character clearly being the leader. There's supposedly no hierarchy here, but your character is clearly alpha in that room. And the sense that you guys are all working together, you're, you immediately kind of shift your perspective on who these people are and what you've gotten yourself into. I would argue that Ellen's character gives his character a run for his money as the leader. They, they're, both, they're both alphas. But in that scene, yes, it's a, performative, a yes. performative moment. If you've never thought that Ellen Page had a bite to match her bark in terms of an actress, you'll change your mind once you see this movie. Uh, before I turn this over to the audience for questions, I've got a, a question for you guys. We just talked about you know, activists versus eco-terrorists, and I think... Leaving this movie, you start to question like how you would characterize you know, the collective known as the East. Um, each of you, uh, at what point do you guys feel that the means stop justifying the ends? Or do you feel that? Um, 
on a personal level, not as Sarah, but on a personal level, I'm the kind of person who feels like you are the sum of your actions. So I don't know I could, that I could take any actions that I felt like, well, these are, these are the wrong things to do, but they may lead to a greater right. I think that I would not be able to get there. Um, but I don't know how, I don't know how these boys feel. No, I, I, I think civil disobedience is, um, um, I, I'm, I'm for it in certain uh, occasions, but uh, Benji is willing to go really far way way further than I would but um, obviously playing him I had to believe in it and I had to feel his frustration and, and also feel that like Zal said there's nothing these people are not being held accountable these corporations are not being held accountable because they have so much money and without money they can buy so much power and they buy through lobbyists uh, they buy Washington they buy senators, and I mean that's the reality. That's how it is, um, and it's it 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 it's, it it that just creates a frustration. I think in in Benji's case, he feels that this is the only way to wake people up. Um, but of course, I wouldn't take it that far. But playing him, I had to kind of feel that frustration for sure. And that sense of commitment, of course. Absolutely, yeah. I guess I would say that we sometimes think that we're powerless, that we're just like one individual and that our vote doesn't count or our civil disobedience doesn't count or that our voice alone will be drowned out in all these other more powerful voices or more powerful movements. But I, I, would, I would challenge all of us to, to take ourselves more seriously. We're each capable of so much change and so much, I mean, look at, look at how the country got together and voted Obama into office twice. I mean. A guy named Hossein becoming president was not really like something, a black guy named Hossein becoming president was not something everybody saw coming 10 years ago. And so I would argue that we are, we are capable of great change and great activism. And that one of the things that we have to do is try to, try to become softer, each of us, and develop more empathy rather than being so hard all the time and so ironic, try to develop more empathy and kindness towards ourselves first and then towards other people. So I think sometimes the hardest form of activism is the one that where we're, where we're trying, to, trying to be uh, more sensitive to, to the world that we live in. That doesn't mean that you, don't, you aren't committed to your action. I think Gandhi was very committed to his action, but I think a level of sensitivity is required to really to move forward. Becoming hard in order to become an activist, I don't think that's a good end. That's kind of in this, the first moment between Benji and Sarah when um, she, uh, something happens, she's about to leave uh, the East and they have a, an encounter where Benji's basically saying, you can't leave because you don't know where you are, you don't know how you got here, so I can't let and you walk And Sarah's out. like, what? You yeah. think I'm not tough enough for the truth? And Benji says, you're not soft enough for the truth. And that is like a dart that enters her heart. And she's in love. Next week on the East. Next week on Next the week. East. All right, who's got some questions out here? Hi, thank you. Um, I saw the company you keep just the other night. Oh, cool. Great role for you. Um, I was really able to identify, my parents were old hippies, and I actually went to a lot of the demonstrations against Vietnam. Oh, wow. And I really, really understood how the SDS turned into the weathermen. Yeah. 
And I was wondering how you compare it to this movie. Mm. Because I really feel like I haven't seen it yet, obviously, but yeah. I understand what the East is doing because so many people are being hurt. Yeah. I, that's such a good question. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Those, I feel like they're actually interesting companion pieces, and they were shot at the same time. I, I left um, Robert's film and got on a plane and landed, and we started shooting the East the next day. Um, and I don't think it's an accident that those two films were being greenlit and going into production at the same time. I think it's sort of a current in the air that we're all feeling, which is this question of what does modern activism look like? Um, and I think what's interesting about uh, the group represented in the East or some of the collectives that we met or spent time with is this idea that young people feel that the, the activism is in how you choose to live your life um, and that in some ways sort of dropping out of the system and um, living your life in what can often be a really sort of difficult setting is that, that sort of your politics and your principles becoming how you live your life is is the way you are an activist. Um, so it's interesting to compare the two and to think about, I mean, I think they're both asking really intense questions about how far one should go in pursuit of, of what they feel is the right thing and in pursuit of waking other people up to what they feel is the right thing. And I think there are no easy answers, but it's exciting that both films are starting a dialogue about it. I think that's really cool. Next question. Hi, I just want to say I really liked the movie. Great job, all of you. And I just have a question. So each member of the East sort of has their own connection to the causes in some very specific way that I don't want to spoil. So how hard was it to find the balance between making it really like impersonal and just wild anarchy and then finding a, like a reason that each character has in being mad at like the destruction that's happening to the world? Well, I think that the political is personal and the personal is political. And I think that each of us in this room has something that's happened to us in our life, whether in childhood or in adulthood or somewhere in between, that sort of shaped our lives. And a lot of times when, when we experience hardships or injustices, we feel very passionate about them and passionate about those causes. And so I, I think a lot of people who are activists have experienced some sort of some sort of moment that woke them up to being an activist. Just like, you know, uh, as a director, I experienced some things that made me become a director. You know, Britt experienced things and Alex experienced things that made them become an actor. I mean, I love hearing Alexander's story of how he became an actor. It's a great story. Maybe he'll tell us that story in a few minutes. But like, but, you know, there are things that shape our lives. And I don't think that that means that the activism is any less important or critical or necessary if it's inspired by some sort of personal event. So I think it makes for a better film because it makes it more emotional and more exciting and more thrilling when there's a personal connection. But I also think it makes the activism deeper and more honest when, it doesn't, when it's not impersonal. I'm not interested in impersonal lives. I don't want to live one and I don't want to make movies about one. Alex, will you talk about becoming an actor? No pressure. Because Alexander's father is an actor. I don't know if you guys know that. An, an actor named Stellan Skarsgård who's amazing. I remember being 14 and seeing Breaking the Waves in theaters and your dad blew me away. I was too young to see that movie, but your dad blew me away. I've you, never told you You went you to that. see that when you were 14? Yeah, oh, with yeah. my friend Nelly. We went together. Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, oh, eh, thank you for that. I, I was. It, it's a long story, and it's going to be a long answer. I was. Do you guys, do you guys want to know this? The answer to this story. But it's not even a good story, is all. I don't know why. It's like I was a child actor, and I, when I was thirteen, I quit because um, I wasn't comfortable with the the attention and being recognized and all that. This was back in Stockholm, Sweden, um, and I, I told my dad and my mom. I said I. I don't. I don't like this. It's not. I just want to be one of the boys when we're out playing soccer. I don't want people to recognize me and stuff. And my dad was very supportive, and he basically said, "I'm, I'm an actor. I love my job, but it is. It is a difficult job. Nine ninety percent of my friends are super talented. He, he was doing. Um, he was a stage actor back in Stockholm then, and he said ninety percent of my friends are super talented, but." They don't, they, they don't make a living doing what they love. They wait tables, and they, they can't support their, their families as actors. And, and for me, I'm doing repertoire theater. I rehearse all day. I perform at night. I don't see you and your mom and your siblings enough. But I do it because I have to. I don't have another choice. I love this. This is the only, there's no option out there. But if there is do the other thing, you know, whatever it is, go do that. Only do this if you have to. And I didn't feel that. I was, you know, I was a kid. I, I wanted to be a, just a regular kid. So I did an act for eight years. And then when I was 20, 21, I, I was out of the military. I lived in Leeds in England. I, like most people that age, I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And there was nothing else I wanted to do. I miss, I miss being on stage. I miss being in front of a camera so much. So... Um, I came here to New York to Marymount Manhattan College in Upper East Side. And here I am today. Thank goodness. And I feel very comfortable we now. We would have had no Benji. <laughs> Can you top that story, Britt? No. Um, no, I can't. I mean, I had a weird route, too. I, um, I studied economics in school, and I was thinking I was going to work as an investment banker, and then... Uh, and then I did that for a summer and I decided it wasn't for me. And so I dropped out of school and moved to Cuba and was making a documentary with our friend Mike. And I thought, oh, storytelling is really challenging and interesting. And I want to be I want to be a storyteller. Um, so I ended up in L.A. And it turns out it's a lot harder to become a storyteller or an actor than you. You can't just like ask someone for that job. No one's going to give you that job. I won't just give it to you. No, if you no, ask. It Even out, if you ask politely. No, if you ask really politely, they still will not give you that. Please. No, nobody will give you the job. So, um, so I started writing in order to act and, didn't, and didn't you approach, I've heard the story that you've approached Zal like after you saw a short that he had done and was just sort of like, Hey, let's work together. Yeah, Zal and Mike made this amazing short film at Georgetown, uh, which is not a school that's really known for filmmaking. I mean, most people are going to work on Capitol Hill or, you know, in New York and investment banking world. And they were these, like, strange kids on campus who were making movies. And they made this beautiful short film called Lucid Gray. And I basically spent the rest of my freshman year stalking them on campus, trying to get a job in their movie. And I was taking photography classes, so I had access to the lights in the lighting department. So I saw Zal, he was buying juice at the grocery store, and I like followed him up and down the juice aisle, like trying to work up the courage. And finally I tapped him on the shoulder because he's like a cool upperclassman and I'm a lowly freshman. And I was like, hi, are you Zal? And he turned around and he was like, yeah. And I was like, um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I'm Zal. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um, I, uh, I was just wondering if I could work on one of your films. Like, I have access to lights. I could bring lights. I could maybe even do sound. And he turned around and he was like, give me this look. And he was like, you know, maybe, have you ever done any acting before? Do you want to be in one of my movies? And I was like, okay. And so then he conned me into doing a couple of his school projects that he had to do at the time that he like needed somebody to act in. And, and it went, went on from there. There's a great, um, Britt gave the, a graduation speech at Georgetown University last week. And she invited me along and I went and it's amazing. And I didn't know what she was going to talk about, but because I just wanted to be surprised. But in front of all these students, you know, thousands of students graduating and their parents, she told the story of how Mike and Britt and I met, banded together and moved to L.A. to make movies. It's a great story. It's, it's available online. You guys should watch the speech. It's a beautiful speech. And I, I was so inspired by I, I read about you guys before we met, before, when I read the script and... and, and it really is an amazing story for someone working on Wall Street, very successful, to just move to Cuba to make a documentary and then move to LA and not only move to LA, but also like coming to LA and then reading all these, like as a young, beautiful woman in LA actress, it's, it's, it's difficult to find great material, you know, with substance. It's a lot of like the hot girlfriend parts. And, and it's very inspiring how just Brit said like, well, this is crap. I can do better, you know? And then wrote the sound of my voice and um, another, like, with, they all live together, the three of them. And also, it says a lot about you guys and with Mike. I don't know if you saw Another Earth, but it's an amazing film. And, and Mike did shot second unit on the East. And an example is he would go to New York for the Gotham Awards with Another Earth in a suit, do the whole event, after party, go to the airport straight from the after party in a suit, fly down to Shreveport, show up on set. At That's where we were shooting. Shreveport. That's where we were shooting. Show up on set at six o'clock in the morning, no sleep, and just be like, okay, Zal, guys, what can I do? What can, how can I help? Which I th just thought it was amazing, you know? No money, and no there, nothing. Yeah, just so excited to be, he, be part of it. He was shooting the second unit stuff, some of the oil spill jam that opens the opening of the film. And he's just there with his hair is wild, his tie is thrown back. He's like stepping in chocolate syrup and olive oil that's like the oil. And you're just like, you know, it's nice to have collaborators. It says, it says so much about these guys and how much, how supportive you guys are of each other, which I think is wonderful. Mike is Mike Cahill? Yeah. Cahill? We've got time for about two more questions. Right in the back. Hi, um, just wondering, this kind of movie, how does it leave you after you're done filming? Like, what, does it stay with you after you've completed? Do you kind of just go back to your It was a horrible feeling. I hated it. I uh, did too. I was so sad. Yeah, because it was, uh, we became the East in a way. Without, we didn't attack corporations, but we kind of, like like Zal said, we lived in, in Shreveport. We shot in Shreveport, and Zal and Britt had a house they rented. And when we weren't on set, we would, like, hang out there and just cook and dance and play around. And, you know, uh, it it was in a very, very, like, ex crazy, very bonding experience. And, and if you, when you see the film, there are a couple of scenes, like one a bathing scene where we kind of bathe you. And we all get naked and wash each other in the water. Yeah, that was the second day of shooting. It's kind of an intense icebreaker. Rolling around in the mud. And like, I don't know if it was a coincidence all, but to, to schedule that on the second day was brilliant because it was just like, 
<clears throat> I don't know, something happened with just a group. We were all like, this is kind of special and kind of unique, this experience. And I'll tell you what happened is Alexander's from Stockholm, where they don't believe in any modesty with nudity. So when it came time, you know, in most movies you wear like sort of uh, modesty, I think they're called modesty pieces. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. No, it's very specific things. Like girls wear little pasties, and boys wear like little like thongs or whatever. They're nude colored. But Alexander was just like, I'm just gonna do it, like Benji would do it, and that set a whole tone. They got out there. Everyone was naked and in the water, and it was nice. But what all, what was also so great about the experience was, like Zol mentioned earlier, how the crew. They were so invested in the project, and I've never experienced that to that level before, where they cared so deeply about these characters and, and, and this story, and they would come up at lunch, you know, like the grip or the makeup artist would come up and be like, Alex, what, that scene this morning, why did Benji do that? Like, or even like, n give me notes sometimes, like they... <laughs> like what kind of they, notes are they giving you? No, but like... All right, Alex, that's interesting. But what if Benji w did this instead? Wouldn't it make like? Wouldn't it be pretty cool if Sarah and Benji, blah, blah, and then like they had these ideas, and it was just like, I don't know, it was just created a great atmosphere on set where people aren't there just doing their job, like you know, waiting for for rap. They were actually super excited about it and 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 cared so deeply about it. Yeah, I remember one time uh, we were shooting a very emotional scene. And I saw a focus puller. That's the guy in front of the camera who pulls the focus to make sure that we're always in focus as the camera's moving. And I saw just a silent tear running down his eye. And I thought, man. My gosh, when was that? It was the scene where uh, you and Alexander are in the woods. And Alex is telling the story of his childhood. Go ahead and roll the clip. How did the house burn? I set it on fire. Where was your family? Well, my parents were already dead. We were out on a night sail. And Mom, Dad, and my dog, Growl. Your dog's name was Growl? Yeah. <laughs> we had a submerged shipping containers, both capsized. Growl and I ended up beside it, and mom and dad underneath. First, I could hear them in there, and then I couldn't. So when I got back, I had all this money, this huge house and everything. And people had changed. They treated me differently. Everyone, my friends, my uncles, my grandparents. But what scared me was the fact that I let them. That I liked it. I saw how money corrupts everything and I felt it started to corrupt me. That's why I set the house on fire. Things would be easier if we didn't feel the need to fight. If we could just let go. Maybe you should.
I cried during that scene too. I was just so moved by Alex, the way he told this story. Because I think sometimes when people, when, when characters divulge their past in a film, it can be like too emotional. It can almost be maudlin, but Alex has such restraint and he, there are moments when he even smiles through the pain and it's just unbearable to watch. It broke my heart. It makes it way more intense, yeah. Way more intense. One last question. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Pretty For good. For the filmmaker, are you planning to make part two in the future? And if you're going to use the same actors? Uh, you better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. Uh... Yeah, I think maybe we'll make a TV show. It's a good, it's a good idea for a TV show. You guys have to go see the movie first. Next though. week on the <laughs> Exactly. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank Take you, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs>